0: Now, I've read to you this evening from the New new Revised Standard Version of the Bible, but I also really like the way that the Common English translation, the Common English Bible translates the words of Gabriel as she greets Mary. This Gabriel says in the CEB, rejoice, favored one, God is with you. And so friends and favored ones that gather this evening, that gather with us here in this room, those of you that gather with us online and throughout the week, greetings, rejoice. You are favored by the divine. God is with you. So the angel greets this girl who would bear God in the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, But if I were going about my normal business, uh, we don't know exactly what Mary was doing in this moment, but imagine I'm reading a page or two before bed and all of a sudden a heavenly being pops into existence in front of me, I might let out a few expressive words to express my surprise. This angel Gabriel actually appeared to somebody before Mary. In fact, Luke tells a story right before this where this same angel Gabriel meets a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a temple priest going about his normal business, and suddenly this angel pops into existence next to the altar of incense. The text says that Zechariah was terrified, and that his fear overwhelmed him. We don't get a description of Gabriel himself, but in other parts of the Bible, we do have descriptions of angels And angels are not the normal cherubs we see in artwork. Angels are described as these terrifying, strange amalgamations of creatures with animal parts and wings, and some of them are made of fire. There's one description of angels that I think is the most strange, and it says that the angel is a wheel within another wheel within another wheel, and that all of these wheels have living eyes within them. If this is what Gabriel looked like, I can imagine why Zechariah was so afraid. Perhaps he had his own expressive words scared out of him as he went from there silent. Mary's response, though, is a little bit different when she meets Gabriel. Did you catch what she says or what the text says of Mary? A reading says this. Mary was much perplexed by his words. And pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The common English Bible says Mary was confused by the words. Wondered what kind of greeting this might be. While Zechariah, and most of us probably would have been terrified by the mere presence of this human or heavenly being, Mary is instead confused by the greeting. Mary is confused by the words that this heavenly being speaks What do you mean rejoice, says Mary? Favored one. The Lord is with me? How could this be? Mary, as far as status goes here on earth, is on the margins of the margins. Luke Timothy Johnson, who's a Bible scholar, points out that Mary is among the most powerless people in her society. She's young in a world that uh, embraces age. She's female in a world ruled by men. She's poor in a stratified economy. And at this point, she has no husband, no child to validate her existence. It appears that for her, there's ample reason to doubt this messenger and this message. Not only does it seem that there would be no reason to rejoice, but why would this girl be favored? How could the divine possibly be with this one? And yet, nevertheless, this message and this greeting is delivered. The message even gets a little bit stranger. This angel says, look, you'll conceive and give birth to a boy and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Mary naturally had a question. How can this be? How will this happen? I've known no man. How can this be? So the angel continues. The Holy Spirit will come over you, says this angel. The power of the Most High will envelop you. Therefore, the one to be born will be set apart. He will be called the Son of God. The angel finishes with a simple but powerful statement. Nothing is impossible with this God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with this God. And then the angel waits. We don't really know exactly how long this next moment is, but we know that the angel waits. And this, my friends, is what we might call a pregnant pause. This is a moment in which the redemption of all of history is conceived. It's a moment in which the gestation of the whole of creation is considered. It's a moment in which a mother-to-be nurtures just the thought of a life growing within her. Mary is given a choice. She's given this choice to give birth to salvation. The angel and the God that sent this angel do not demand that this young girl cooperate. The divine doesn't coerce this girl into an unwanted pregnancy. The angel waits for Mary to ponder, waits for her to respond. I can only imagine what may have been going through her mind. First of all, and perhaps most clearly, I have no idea what the possibility of pregnancy looks like, especially for a young and unwed mother in the first century. But I imagine that even on top of that momentous decision, this pregnancy and this message that she's given, that this child that she would bear would bring to fruition every promise that the divine had given to her people, that God had given to all of humanity would be fulfilled in this pregnancy, in this child. To say yes to something like this, she must have realized would cost something. It's easy to see that this would cost something socially, but those of us that are gathered here today who know how this story goes... We know that this coming child will die before their mother. We know that this child will be violently crucified by the very families of people that he is called to bless. We know that this yes will bring not just the joy and the love and the peace, but all of the aches and the pains of parenthood and further still, the suffering that comes with the vulnerability of bringing a child into this world. This is a pregnant moment because this God gives Mary the agency, gives Mary the ability to make this decision on her home. This God gives Mary the dignity of determination and to consider the cost of what she's doing. The angel waits. But of course, we're here to celebrate because she says yes. Mary says, I belong to the divine, and the divine belongs to me. Let it be for me, just as you have spoken. And my guess is this my guess is that Mary is probably not the only person that gets confused by the idea of being favored. She's probably not the only person that's perplexed by the idea of God being with her. My guess is that the unfortunate reality is that there are many of us, even here in this room, that struggle with the idea of being favored, that there's probably people here this evening that feel worthless that feel like they have no value, not just to the world, but even to the world of the people around them. Maybe there are people here that feel Worthless. Feel like imposters. My guess is that there are very many here this moment as well that are perplexed by the idea that the sovereign God that created this universe might be with them, that the divine might be gestating within you as you sit here in this space. But I want you to know this. You may not be Mary. You may not be the theotokos, which is one of my favorite Greek words. It means the God-bearer. You may not be Mary, but you do bear the divine. Each of you bears the divine. As confusing, as perplexing as that idea might be, I want you to know that the divine does favor you. That not only does this God see you, but this God is with you that there within you, that within you you bear the name, you bear the image, you bear the spirit, you bear the breath of the God that has created everything, of the God that incarnates every single molecule of this cosmos, that within you germinates the seed of life abundant that this God has promised. And so your invitation in this Christmas season is to bear that which is within you already, to nurture it, and to give it back to the world that has been given to you. We do make much of the gifts that we're given and the gifts that we give in the season, and I love to participate in that. I love to see my son's face light up when he opens a gift, and I love a surprising and thoughtful gift from my wife. Mary's gift to us on that day so long ago was this yes. Yes. It was the consideration that she gave, the consideration of a world-to-be, and in this moment, the acceptance of the word that was spoken to her. Her gift was to nurture the divine within her, and then to bear that divine presence into the world in an infant child. Mary was invited into an act of salvation. She's invited to give birth to a child whose name means God saves a child that would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so we today are called and invited to participate in this very same act. We're invited to bear the divine into a world that desperately needs the justice and the reconciliation and the love that this God offers. You, favored ones, are invited to bear this into the world. God is with you. The Christ is within you and is born into this world through the gift of your presence. My prayer is that tonight, as we continue to worship and as we partake in this meal, that you would consider your own pregnant pause, that you'd take just a moment to consider giving this gift. Consider the world to be the full gift of your presence. Consider your own yes. Consider the cost, because there is a cost. To bear the divine love brings joy and peace, but it also bears the pain that that love and vulnerability sometimes bring. But my prayer is that in your pregnant moment, in your moment of consideration, that you And that we as a community would say together, let it be for me. Let it be for us. This pregnant moment can be as perplexing as any other. To give birth is to be vulnerable. It's to trust that God will indeed do what God has said that he would do. It's to trust that this world that's so full of pain and suffering also might offer peace and joy and even ecstasy. It's to trust that this world is worth giving birth to. And it's hard to find such trust at times. It's hard to find the current courage and the strength for such a thing. And so tonight we gather around this table, this table of remembrance, this table that reminds us that God is as close to us as the very sustenance that we take into our bodies. Deacon Jim Nipper says that when we come to this table with all of our joys and sorrows to be nourished by the greatest gift that Jesus gives us, his physical presence, his divine humanity, body and blood, his physical presence was so important that at this final meal, he told his disciples to remember that presence. Every time they ate bread, every time they drank the wine, remember, eat, drink, And remember, remember that I was human. Remember that I was physical. Remember that I was here. Remember that I was present and follow me.